This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. This episode is brought to you by Physician CEO. Finally, a business program for busy doctors just like you. Get the skills of branding, marketing, entrepreneurship, and combine those with your gifts as a physician. Be known as a doc outside the box and define your future. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. Got a special episode. I got my wife, Dr. Renee, on this episode. And then I got my closest friend, Kwesi Asamoa, on the show also. What's good, everybody? What's good? What's good? So, Kwesi, you're coming in all the way from California? Yep. Nice, nice, nice. Where it's not nice and warm. Just had an earthquake earlier today. Yeah, I sent you a text earlier today. You were okay? <laughs> yeah, I was sleeping through it. A couple of aftershocks. <laughs> And Renee, you're coming all the way from downstairs. I'm upstairs, actually. Oh, yeah, you're upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm good. Well, for those who don't remember, Kwesi was, woof, you were about like 30 or 40 episodes before where I went out to California. We caught up and linked up and we met with Doc Hollywood, Dr. Zoan Clack, and you helped yep. me. And then we ended up recording an episode just on entrepreneurship. And that situation was mainly about you deciding to be an independent contractor from your architectural background, architectural standpoint. We got a lot of downloads on that one. Really? Yeah, we did. We got a lot of downloads, a lot of feedback on that one. So it's good. It's good. I get you. You're famous, Questy. I know. I know. I'm glad to be back. Actually, Questy's too formal. We all call Quest Love. <laughs> no one calls me Quest Love, man. <laughs> from college. <laughs> you remember who used to call you Quest Love? <laughs> oh, man. Inside joke. Uh-oh. Yeah, inside jokes. Yeah. So this episode. We're going to be talking about some interesting thing. The big thing is, obviously, we're all huge NBA fans. I don't know, me and you and Kwesi, we've been following basketball for a long time. I know recently you've been a bandwagon Miami Heat fan, but I've been watching the New York Knicks since, I don't know, 1990, 91. And, oh, I've been watching New York Knicks since then, too. I just root against them. Right, right. <laughs> so on this episode, we're going to be talking about NBA free agency the power mogul moves that some of these free agents are making and what lessons doctors can learn from it. Obviously, there's two physicians on this podcast, myself and Renee, but Kwesi is basically the resident expert on NBA contracts, probably just as passionate about basketball, if not more passionate about basketball than me, but you kind of understand these contracts to a different level. Every time we talk, you're always saying how many years someone has or how many years someone has left or you know what kind of exceptions they have. So that's why we got you on also. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself an expert. You know, I just enjoy seeing like what people get paid for how long they get paid, why they do like long-term deals, you know, the mindsets going in. You and I always get into conversations about like, yeah, why would he sign that kind of deal at this time? Or why wouldn't he take that money? 
And so it's good now to be able to talk about the correlation between you know what we do versus what NBA players do and what owners think. It's good now to put it into podcast form because I'd like to talk about like just the interaction between players who are quote unquote employees and owners who are quote unquote management, but how that really isn't the case. That's a good point because that's the whole gist of this, right? Because you're right. The players are actually employees, but in the whole scheme of things, they're almost like 50% partners or the way how the agreements work with the collective bargaining agreement, they're sharing revenue at a rate of what? Was it 51 to 49%? Yeah. It used to be 52%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the revenues that come in from basketball that are, I guess, happen within the basketball stadium, yes. right? Because it has to be really specific, right? Because yep. there's revenue that the basketball teams make outside of the court or outside of the stadium that players aren't privy to, but everything that happens within the stadium has to be split, like some type of close percentage in slight favor of the owners. Of the players, yeah. Is it in the players? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there's 450 of them. So they get a little bit larger percentage than the owners do. Like, it's weird. It varies between leagues, too. I think, like, the NFL used to have a larger percentage, and then that may be under 50% or right around 50%. You know, there's 52 teams. There's, like, 1,500 NFL players. The fact that it's not a 60-40 split, it's kind of... That's a whole different... <laughs> I'm going to be pissing off a lot of football. <laughs> they definitely do not know how to wield their power. I think from a player standpoint, they don't do it well at all, which is why we're highlighting the NBA players because to go from where we grew up watching them in the 90s to Michael Jordan kind of taking over the league and him getting paid, I think at one point the highest he got paid was like $33 million, which looking back was a deal for the team, right? He was grossly underpaid to kind of that hero league that occurred after he retired where every player was getting these huge contracts for like 10-year contracts, right? To now where we are at, where most players are taking these short-term deals. It's been kind of like almost like a roller coaster in terms of how the contracts have gone. So I thought maybe we'd talk about that and some of the moves that they've made and how this really relates to physicians, how this even relates to other people who are employed or not employed, taking the independent contractor route. So let's start with the big shift, I think, that occurred that really wasn't publicized much, but ended up kind of starting this whole players taking back control. I'd have to say it started with LeBron James. I want to say, what, in 2007, 2008, between him, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Carmelo Anthony. I think they all had an opportunity to re-up on their contracts. And then I think the majority of them, four out of five of them or three out of four of them decided to take three-year contracts with the hopes that they would link up in the future. I think only three of them decided to do that, which was Bosh, Wade, and LeBron. And Carmelo decided not to bet on himself and decided to just take all the money and took like a five-year contract. Yeah, yeah. I think guess it was two, let's see, 2003, LeBron was a rookie. So yes, it must have been 2007 when... He could have signed his contract extension. And instead of taking the max, which would have been five years, they took a three-year deal. Like you said, it was LeBron, Bosh, Wade, Chris Paul, I think. And Melo decided to just re-up for the five-year deal. I mean, we all know why he did that. You know, he decided he was just like, well, I don't have the exact numbers, but you know, let's say he was getting $120 million for five years. Well, he was like, he's looking at that and he's like, I'm going to get 120 million for five years. I'm guaranteed that five years. I'll figure out the rest when my contract's up. But what LeBron and the others realized was that 
you know, okay, in three years, our contracts will be up. We'll be eligible for a max deal or to go and do whatever we want. And I think that's probably when he, Wade, and let's say Bosch were thinking like, all right, well, maybe we'll all try and play together, you know? And that's what led to the 2010 Heatles. Right. And it's really difficult to do that while you're an employee of a team, right? Because like talking with other teammates from other teams, it's pretty difficult. And to make sure that that occurs where everybody's coming together at the same point and coming together on the same contract on the same team, that's really difficult to do. So I think the other important thing is they took less, right? They took less from their contract in order to make it occur also, which is really interesting. Well, I mean... They took less guaranteed money. Yes, they bet on themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're normally, you know, like if you take a max, you're getting you all... max. People who aren't familiar, max means maximum contract. You get the yeah. maximum amount of dollars for a maximum amount of time in the contract. Usually it's a yep. long contract. Yep. Like, so if you sign with a new team, max is usually four years. If you sign with the current team that drafted you, you've been playing for during your previous contract, even if you're traded to another team, you're allowed to sign for a max, which is five years. The max used to be 10 years, but because of teams like the Knicks, who were giving out max like they were candy, and therefore they were actually ruining their own franchise, the league came down and was like, okay, no more of these 10-year big contracts that hamstring a team for you know a decade. We're going to cut that in half, make it a four-year max, but the team that drafts you or trades for you and has your rights, they can give you a max of five years. Okay. All right. So these players decided to take less guaranteed money in the hopes that they would play together, which for me, I think was genius because we've never seen that in the NBA before. We've never even seen that in sports before, particularly when they're employed, right? So they decided to kind of work within the system, make the system work for them, and then play together. And the reason why is, you know, to some extent, they all felt like they were in situations where they really weren't in a position to win anymore, right? So LeBron, I think, had gone as far as he can go with his team. So he didn't think that he could win or the front office could put, you know, enough powerful players in front of him to help him win a championship. Definitely Chris Bosh was in the middle of nowhere, quote unquote, Siberia, you know, in Toronto. We say that now. (laughs) But that's how it was, you know, several years ago, they really weren't going anywhere. So he didn't really trust that their front office could put you know, some complimentary players around him. And Dwayne Wade just recently came off of a championship. But I think they all grew up playing summer league and grew up knowing each other since high school. So they wanted to play together. So Dr. Renee, you want to chime in on this? Sure. Thanks for that laying down the groundwork, Max and Stephen A. (laughs) Well, I'm the bald one, so I guess I'm Stephen A. (laughs) What you have here is... (laughs) Your hairline's definitely far enough back that I could call you Stephen A. All right, okay, all right. (laughs) You know, part of the reason that I was quiet is because I think you both were laying really good, you know, groundwork for the discussion of, you know, how this translates into what doctors are experiencing, right? So when you talked about things even like the three to five-year contract, right, there's like almost a direct parallel to the three and the five-year contract. So we know that oftentimes when doctors come out of, you know, residency or just, you know, changing hospitals, they're often offered some sort of long-term contract. 
And for some reason, you know, usually between three and five years, right, Nate? Yeah, it's usually it's usually between usually, three and five years. Yeah, usually three to five years. Right. And so, you know, the question becomes, okay, well, what are the trade-offs? And what are the benefits of taking a three to five year contract? You know, do you sign on, get a sign on bonus, right? So, you know, I'm sure you're probably familiar, Cressy, but a sign on bonus is usually kind of a reward, if you will, for hey, if you sign on for a long term with me, then we will give you money up front and you know, that money basically because you signed that particular contract. And so usually, usually though, it's a loan. Right. And that's where it becomes a little tricky. <laughs> Wait a minute. Right? Wait a minute. <laughs> so, it's, so it's not so much a loan more than it is. It's not so much a loan more than it is a conditional. That's what it is. So for example, I'll give like a very rudimentary example. So let's say your sign-on bonus for a three-year contract is, I don't know, $75,000, okay? And so every time you knock off a year, a third of that sign-on bonus goes away in terms of you owing it back. So if you were to stay for a year, but then you decided in, you know, at the end of that year that you wanted to leave, then you would be forgiven $25,000 right? But you would not be forgiven the 50000 So you'd have to give that 50000 back. Now, if you spent that 75000 and you don't have $50,000 just to just write a check and give back, it can pose a problem for you. Yeah, you're asked out. Right. At least in my experience, I had to sign a promissory note, which makes it even more so. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a signing bonus. It is, we're going to give you this cash, which is a loan that if you fulfill your full contract, it ends up being a bonus. Is only the, it's only Correct. a bonus at the end of the contract. Correct. I oftentimes call it golden handcuffs because to me, that's what it is. You get this bonus, but because of that, they lock you in. You can't even walk away from the contract unless you're willing to pay up to leave. Right. right? Is so, there interest that you have to pay on, on yes. it too? Yes. At least the contract that I've had, if you decided to leave, you'd have to pay them back. Either you pay, but it's due immediately if you, you know, violate the contract, mm-hmm. which is walking right. away from the contract, or there are provisions for interest payments. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you, the more and more we talk about being a doctor, the more and more I'm like, yo, this is a crazy business you guys are in. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But anyway, really okay, so this brings it back to, you know, what I was saying, you know, with what Dr. Renee mentioned, with these three to five-year contracts and then even taking a sign-on bonus is like a lot of times, I think the key things is you have to take less to get the freedom that you want. So yes, they give you a maximum contract Mm -hmm. or a great offer or a great salary and then a great sign-on bonus. You know, there are times when you have to just, you know, take your contract, but just say no to your bonus, right? right? Because that's the advice that I give people now is like, listen, like if you really like a place or you're not sure about a place, yeah, take the regular contract. If it's three years, that's fine. I tell most people don't take five years because you just don't know how it's going to be. But three years, I think is the middle of the road. And don't take a sign-on bonus because I know it's great to have some money up front. But if you don't like a place and you want to be out in a year or so, you're going to have to pay back this bonus money. Right. Or if you're going to take the bonus, then don't spend it, which is hard for people to do, right? Because Unlike NBA players, you know, NBA players tend to, you know, come out of high school or if they're coming out of college, 
the amount of debt that they have is small, especially in comparison to their income. But the amount of debt that doctors have in comparison to their income is way different. So it's hard to one, say no to the bonus, which is why hospitals offer it. But two, it's hard to say, well, I'm just not going to spend it. I will just wait and see whether or not I like this place because you're just thinking about so many things that you could do potentially with that money. So yeah, it becomes a real big issue for physicians. Yeah. Questy, you got anything else you want to say about that before we move on to, we're going to fast forward into the 2010s. No, I'm completely shocked. I'm right? shocked. I'm yeah, shocked. It's crazy. We're resembling more of the NFL players, right? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that like, I'm thinking about like, you know, just my own past situations. And if I was there, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to take the three years. Yeah, I'm going to take that money because you're balancing that up against the fact that, you know, as a doctor, you have what, like $400,000 in loans. And so you're well, approaching 30, maybe you're in your 30s mm-hmm. and you've got friends maybe in the finance industry and all these other industries who've been making money for the last 10 Architecture years. industry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We don't make money like that. <laughs> it's element of keeping up with the Joneses and yes. yep. moving on to right. finally being a quote unquote adult mm-hmm. and, you know, like getting rid of the debt that you have behind you and starting to generate wealth, which would last you for the rest of your life. So yeah, taking a three or five year deal and a signing bonus, like you do what Carmelo Anthony did. You, know? right. you take the money. You take the money, you say, I'll figure it out at the end. You know, right. Right. It's no surprise. And we're going to fast forward. I'm sure he didn't know this, but if you really look at this whole thing, right? This is a decision that he made in 2007 has affected him, you know, dramatically in yes. 2019. He has no championships. You know, me and you can debate if he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. Look, anybody could be a Hall of Fame player in the NBA, right? So obviously he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But, you know, that's up for debate for some people, you know, but, you know, all of these people who decided for the most part to take less have all had pretty successful careers that have taken them deep into the playoffs consistently, except for Carmelo Anthony, right? Even Chris Paul is still, you know, a relevant player, you know, and um, depending on how you look at things, possibly may win next year, depending on how they're able to make it happen. But obviously LeBron James has cemented his legacy in the pantheon of great players. And then obviously Dwayne Wade also with Wade County, you know, so. I think there's something to be said about thinking ahead instead of thinking in the moment, which is, I think, the difference between the decision that Mello made and the rest of them made, right? They were thinking about, well, what moves can I potentially make in the future that will benefit me more than just taking the money right now. And so I don't necessarily know that all doctors anyway, think about that, you know, just kind of like Questy was saying, if you have six-figure debt, you want to be an adult, you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, you've delayed gratification for so long. It's like, man, I haven't had money ever. You know, maybe being a doctor is your first job, believe it or not, right? Like if you went to high school, college, med school, residency, your first job might actually be being a doctor. And so now you're presented with a six-figure salary. You're like, holy crap, like I've never had this much money in my life. You'll take it. Right. So, That's a good point. That's mm-hmm. a good point. It's the perfect correlation between Carmelo and, you know, the three-year, five-year offer with sign and bonus. Just because, you know, as you said, I mean, if you just think about how his career moved along, I mean, 
people will say like, oh yeah, he's had complete control of his career, but he's never really had control of his career. No. He signed that five-year deal. And then I think three years into it, he wanted to get traded to the Knicks or four years into it, he wanted to get traded to the Knicks, signed another long-term deal with the Knicks. You know, that didn't go, I think. Had an opportunity to sign with the Chicago Bulls. Yes. Became a free agent, had an opportunity to sign for the Chicago Bulls, didn't. Then where did he go? He came uh, back to the Knicks. Yeah, because Phil Jackson gave him another big contract. He re with the Knicks. And it's only because every time he could have taken control, there was no place for him. And, you know, I think we're about to jump to like guys like LeBron James, who in 2010, I think he signed a three or four year deal with the Heat, finished that contract out. And then from then on, and you and I will debate this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to this, yeah. So from 2000, so once he decided to leave Miami, he went back to the Cavs, which for me, I thought was a mistake. But looking back, listen, there's a reason why he's as successful as he is, right? There are certain things that he can see that the rest of us mere mortals can't see, right? So, you know, I was saying, why would you go back? The owner ran you off. You know, it was a really acrimonious splitting. Why go back, right? And he's proved all of us naysayers wrong, right? And the reason why I want to bring up these next years is LeBron, instead of signing maximum money, he always signed, what, a three plus one? No, he signed a one and one <laughs> For each year? Yeah. So explain a one and one for the listeners. A one and one is the two-year contract, only the first year is guaranteed. <laughs> and then the second year, they call the player option. But a player can say, yes, I want to sign on for a second year. If there are also deals in which like the team gets the option, so they can say, yeah, we want to sign you for another year. But what LeBron did, he essentially was just signing one-year deals. And if anything, you know, it's betting on himself because he doesn't have the guarantee of like a five-year contract. But I think the reason why he did the one-on-ones is because if something happened in that season and he got hurt, he'll just opt into his second year and he has it. And recover on their time. Yes. But what he always did was he always opted out after the first year and signed another one-on-one contract. Right. So for the people who are listening, the question is, is why would you do that versus maybe even sign like a three-year or a four-year contract? The reason why he did that was so he has a long-standing history of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And this is where we disagree, but go ahead. Right. He has a long-standing history with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Everybody knows they have not been able to put an adequate team around him. But that was the reason, for the most part, that he left in 2010. He wanted to play with an organization that had a winning pedigree. He wanted to play with his friends. He wanted to play particularly with Dwayne Wade. So him taking a one-in-one deal would always just put the Cleveland Cavaliers on alert that, look, if you don't put a team around me, I'm out. I've done it once. I've done it twice now. Right? I left Miami and came back. I could do it again. Am leverage. I, am I wrong? Like he's given himself all yes. the leverage. Yeah, right? absolutely. Leverage. Yeah. So he did this for four years. And year one that he got there, they went to the championship and they lost. The second year, they won the championship. The third year, they lost the championship. And in the fourth year, they lost to the championship. But the four years that he was gone, they never even made it to the playoffs. The reason why I bring this up is, one, to talk about betting on yourself and making sure that you never get into shape. But also at the same time, the most important thing I want to get from this is he looked at himself almost as an equal partner with the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? And I want to get your thought processes on these, Kwesi and Dr. Renee. I want to see what you guys think about this, particularly from the part of considering himself an equal partner. I looked at it as, he was like, look, I'm putting the fans in the seat. I'm like literally revitalizing this downtown area of Cleveland, which was, you know, nobody came to the games before. I'm the driving force here. And although I'm an employee, this thing revolves around me. So 
listen, you might as well put a good team around me. Give me what I need. And as a result, I'm going to give you back someone who's very healthy. I'm going to be dragging you to the playoffs and to the championships all four years and got you a championship. You haven't even had a championship since the 1960s. You know, so I want to know what you think. Quest, you don't agree with that, but I want to get what you guys think. My disagreement is that everything as it relates to being a doctor, everything he did is what I think that, you know, especially if you are a specialized doctor, which, you know, I don't know, let's say you're a neurosurgeon. There's no reason why, if you're you're such a specialized aspect in being a doctor, there's no reason why you should sign on a long-term deal. Like you should always bet on yourself because there are so few people that can do what you do, you know? But my, where you and I disagree is that I always felt that he was always signing these one-on-one contracts. And what they did was they made the Cavs make decisions for short-term success, not for long-term success. And I think that's what hurt them, you know, the last two years. Because well, the key, they were, the key things is success though, right? Which they never had before he got there. True, true. But I mean, like you can't build when the key member of your team is you don't know if he's going to be there the next year. All you're thinking about is this current year. You do a lot of things to make sure that you can win now. You don't think about winning next year because, you know, if you're the Cavs and it's 2017, let's say, you're like, okay, who cares if he's going to be here? We don't know if he's going to be here next year because he's done these one-on-ones. Let's just trade everybody on the team and let's basically bring in a whole new team and see what happens. You know, we've got the best player in the league. As opposed to, okay, let's trade for a couple guys who may need just a year to develop, but will be good, stable foundation pieces for the next five, seven years, are on shorter contracts, or not even on shorter contracts, but are good deals for longer contracts. And those are the guys that we can help build around this guy who's on our team. So basically what you're saying is the reason why right now, if anybody's following the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers have Tristan Thompson at like a max contract. Yes. He's probably worse than Amon Shumpert in terms of just skills. They have, yeah, they, they have like a scorched earth mentality. They have four players that they've given these really large contracts to and they can't do anything with. I mean, if this was, let's say, uh, a hospital, right? And you have one guy who works in the neurosurgeon and then you have another department, let's say, I don't know, either pediatrics or obstetrics, they're throwing all the money in neurosurgery, but it's not producing as much money. But the people in obstetrics or pediatrics who can generate a lot of money, they can't give any money to those people because they're funneling it somewhere else. So like, it just becomes an imbalance in the hospital. It may create short-term success, but long-term prosperity, it, it doesn't happen. I love this discussion because first of all, Kwesi, the last thing that you just said described what a lot of hospitals actually do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which is freaking scary. <laughs> so I can tell you that, yes, that that happens. Certainly there are departments that get a little more attention, budgetary, financial yep. attention because of the amount of money that they generate. And then the other departments basically suffer for it because money is a limited resource. And so you just have to do that. But I think, you know, it's an interesting argument that both of you make because I think you both have very good points. Now, Nee's point is similar to something you kind of tapped into, Questy, also, is that LeBron James would be like the neurovascular surgeon, you Mm -hmm. know, 
a very highly specialized specialty. And certainly him being, you know, the king, he's very sought after. He's extremely sought after. And so there are hospitals out there that would love to have on a long-term basis, a neurovascular surgeon. But we also do know that there are players out there who, you know, the Amon Shumperts, who are not necessarily sought after, except by JV, Varsity, you know. Or the, or the Kardashians. <laughs> or Kardashians. <laughs> That's another episode. I always joke that Iman Shumper got traded to Akron High School. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. But it essentially equates to all the other not so subspecialized specialties. And so the question becomes like, yeah, you might be able to leverage yourself as LeBron James, but as Iman Shumper, can you really leverage yourself? Like, you know, so if you're an obstetrician like me, if you're, you know, family med, pediatric doc, can you really leverage yourself to that extent? And the answer is probably no. I would say I agree that you probably can't in the beginning, right? In the beginning, because I mean, there are a lot of people just like you, right? You know, but and like, as you get into more specialized, there are less and less. However, once you start to stand out from the crowd, that's when you can begin to leverage yourself. Because once it's like, let's say, you know, let's say you're at a hospital and like all the mothers are like, oh, I heard about the Dr. Renee. She's like the go-to, like, can I get her? Can I get her? Can I get And everybody's like, she's got a full patient load, but we've got Dr. Cindy here. And they're like, no, nah, I don't want her. I want Dr. Renee. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. You would think that that would actually make a difference. But here's where I think you touched on something that is in medicine that actually should not be, you know, in medicine is when you said that the Cleveland Cavaliers, right, decided to make decisions kind of based on the here and now, right? So they were making these decisions, you know, based on, well, I don't know if LeBron's going to be here, you know, next year. I don't know. And I will tell you, at least in my opinion, many hospital administrators make the same sorts of decisions. They make decisions not necessarily to build great teams, even though that's the narrative that they'll push. They don't necessarily make decisions that will build great teams. They make decisions to get more butts in the seat. And Mm -hmm. so where it is different is that even if, you know, Dr. Renee, you know, is held in very high regard in the community and she's delivered, you know, mothers, daughters, you know, granddaughters, even if she's done that, hospital administrators will not necessarily be hard-pressed to let Dr. Renee go. You know why? Because there's always somebody else that's going to come. And the community will have no choice but to accept that person. If Dr. Renee gets let go and it moves 200 miles away, they're not going to come. They're not going to drive 200 miles away to come deliver their baby. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, they're like, you know what? The community will be upset for a little bit. But eventually, Dr. Cindy will fall into play. It sounds like the New York Knicks, though. Right. right. I I mean, that's exactly... It's an administrative problem. And now, a word from our sponsor. Meet Dr. Arthur Cummings. He's a busy ophthalmologist practicing all the way in Dublin, Ireland. Recently, he finished physician CEO. Check out what got him to jump on the transatlantic flight to participate in this program. My initial response would simply be just do it. 
This is one of those programs that is so good. It's very likely to be the best education you've ever received. And you realize then as a physician, how little we really know about our businesses, even though we're running businesses that are quite large. And the level of training is so fantastic. The education is so good. The faculty is immaculate and you're in a group of people who are like-minded. So just the entire environment is an amazing learning experience and really a good incubator for growing your practice. So if you're a physician who's looking to start your own venture or even lead your practice or department, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. I think the important takeaway from this conversation, at least this specific one, particularly with LeBron moving back to Cleveland, taking a one-on-one and what we're talking about with hospital administrators or neurovascular and so forth is in an employed model, I think it's really hard to be an equal partner in these types of situations, particularly if you're not putting the money up, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that physicians can really understand the power play that they can have, which is similar to what LeBron James had. Like, what power play can I have to make sure that I can be as close to an equal partner as possible? Well, one is he spends hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep himself healthy, right? He already has physical abilities and he has a lot of skill, but he keeps himself really in shape to make sure that, hey, if I do sign a one-year or if I decide to sign a contract that's not fully guaranteed, I know for the most part, I'm not going to get significantly hurt that I can continue to do this longer. And the team or the fans are going to continue to come and see me no matter what. And then the other thing too also is the amount of money, the amount of seats or fans that he's putting into the seats is something that the owner knows and is very aware of also, right? So liken that to physicians, like, yeah, you may not be putting up money for the hospital. You may not be putting up money for the equipment and things like that, you know, but you bring a significant amount of brain power, which is, you know, not many people have. The medical knowledge that you have is, you know, not many people have. And like you said, a lot of people are looking for Dr. Renee specifically or you know, whatever doctor specifically. So really understand that there are significant power plays that we all can make. It may not be obvious, but, you know, there are things that we can do within the system to make sure that we are looked at as close to equal partners as possible. I think that if you're not the neurovascular surgeon, right, but you are the obstetrician, you know, the pediatrician, the family medicine doc, I think where the power play can come in is if the culture of how doctors approach, you know, their employment actually changes, right? So in other words, you know, me and I, we always talk about that, right? How one doctor will basically take a stance in the department and all the other doctors are too afraid to take a stance, even though they have the same stance. So they won't say anything. So, you know, if something like they put a new responsibility on the physicians, which is going to eat up their time, eat up their energy, and then not pay them more. The doctors will complain about it, but only one person will actually complain. And then the rest of them will just be like, well, I mean, I guess we just have to do it. And it's like, you're messing up the system because now if basically you're a doctor who is a dime a dozen, you know, like a family med or pediatric doc or OB, then it's very easy. You're very replaceable is basically what I'm trying to say. And so if you create a culture where it's like, "Mm, no, we're not going to stand for this, you know, and most doctors are not going to stand for this, whatever this is, 
then it becomes harder for administrators to basically screw you over. Here's a point that I wanted to bring up next is the ability to bet on yourself. And I want to fast forward into what happened last year. Obviously, the easiest example of someone betting on themselves is LeBron James and the contracts that he takes. But I think another one which we saw someone bet on themselves and be completely successful is Kawhi Leonard, right? So last year, Kawhi Leonard suffered a thigh bruise. He was part of this year's championship team. He suffered a thigh bruise. And when he got back on the playing court, he felt as though, you know, he just wasn't right. And even though the medical doctors of the San Antonio Spurs said, look, you know, we've tested you out. We've done all these different studies. We don't see any type of significant damage. You know, you're free to go and play. He just said, nah, I'm not ready. He had his own doctors take a look at him. They kind of backed up his standpoint. And long story short, he ended up only playing nine games in 2017, 18, and then eventually ended up getting traded to the Toronto Raptors. Got and now he's a champion. Now he's a champion, <laughs> right? So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Questy, about walking away from a deal or, you know, if you're employed, kind of deciding that if they're forcing me out there and you're not ready to play, you know, what you should do in those type of situations. It's something you never, ever, ever see. I mean, actually, it's funny because we actually saw it twice now, you know, a player who felt like the organization wasn't supporting him, wasn't supporting like his view of like how his body was feeling. They kind of were just pushing him out. They were kind of just like, you know, we don't know what's going on with you. And when people would ask like the Spurs, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why isn't he playing? They're like, we don't know. Go ask him. Right. And, which is you're putting him out there. Like, yeah. You you're kind of just leaving. Yeah. You're leaving him out to dry. As you said, like he felt like something was wrong with his body. When it comes down to it, and for all employer-employee relationships, the employer just sees you as the current thing that's going to generate revenue for them. A workhorse. Right? Yeah. Once your value is done, you are pushed out the door and someone else comes in and takes your spot. And what Kawhi was just like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just gonna, not going to be your piece of cattle that's basically going to run itself into the ground and then you just, you know, you go out back and you shoot me. Right. You know, and that's the end of my I mean, look, so I mean, we've seen that in the NFL, right? We saw yeah, that. We've seen it in the NFL. Cowboys. The Cowboys, yep. they were the running back. Was it Demarcus? I forget what his name is. But anyhow, the running back had over like, what, a thousand carries or something like that. And then. Oh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot, I'm drawing a they blank. Would, they wouldn't give him a new contract. And then yep. they found, traded him off to nowhere. And we've seen the last couple of years with running backs. We've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in basketball. As I said, like we've seen it twice. The other example of this is. Kevin Durant, who, you know, I mean, mean, you have a player there who, you know, there were rumors that there were other guys on his team that were like, Hey, Kevin, like, why aren't you coming back? Like, we need you for the playoff. Like they were just disgruntled at the fact that he wasn't playing at what amounted to be a Mm -hmm. minor calf injury. Man, I saw him grab really low though. I think they always knew it was an Achilles injury. They just, I don't know if they didn't tell him or. Reggie Miller during the broadcast was like, oh, it's an Achilles. Like Look how low he he grabbed. Yeah. The way he grabbed, the way he turned around and looked back as if like somebody kicked him. Like, I mean, that's what they say. But again, the medical staff said it's just a calf injury. The team thought it was just a calf injury. Then you've got pressure, you know, like for him, it's like, you know, you have this player who feels as if like him coming there was you know, he was taking the easy way out. And then there's the burden of playing. He's got his teammates. He's got the entire organization, like, wondering what's up. And then he goes and plays, plays 12 minutes, and that's it. <laughs> and changes, you know? the, changes the arc of his career, actually. Yeah. He was a guy that was doing what LeBron was doing, actually. For the last three years in Golden State, 
he's been signing one and ones He's been doing the exact same thing, just the one-year deal, opting out, and then signing another one-year deal with the player option for a second year. And at the end of this contract, everybody knew that, like, oh, okay, he's going to go somewhere else. Yeah, they limped his butt to Brooklyn. (laughs) My town. (laughs) But he went to Brooklyn, took a max deal because he essentially could, but still left money on the table. He left $70 million. He could have signed for $70 million more if he stayed with Golden State. Yes. If he stayed with Golden State, he could have signed for $70 million. But even, even That's a lot of hard feelings. I think he left $15 million, I believe, on the table signing with Brooklyn so that Brooklyn can get someone else, you know, DeAndre uh, Jordan, him and Kyrie. But again, like I said to you after it happened, I was like, man, I was like, if I was Kevin Durant, I would opt into my option, yeah. recover on Golden State's dime. And then go and play for Brooklyn or the Knicks or whoever else on a five-year deal when I'm ready to play. I agree with you on that one. I think the key things are to understand, you have to understand your body. You have to understand that you are the capital that brings, you know, leverage to this whole thing, right? I mean, if things go wrong from a team standpoint, like they just have so many different resources. They have economies of scale. Like they can recover. You can't recover from an individual type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why for me, I still don't understand why Kevin Durant put himself out there like that. I don't understand why he caved to pressure like that. You know me already. I think if LeBron was in a similar situation, he'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm not playing. I found that to be really disappointed that he went out there and played. And maybe he didn't know the full extent. Whatever it is, I think he changed his career significantly because we don't know if he'll ever recover and get that explosiveness back. No. Well, I mean, you know, to bring that to what we see in medicine, You know, the question is, well, why do doctors take the hit with taking extra call, extra work, extra, you know, whatever, you know, getting peer pressure from their colleagues, getting peer pressure from administration? You know, why do they do it? So Kevin Durant, it seemed as though anyway, let's assume that he actually did know that it was an Achilles. I mean, he's a smart guy, right? He knows that if he's actually having pain, where it's coming from. I mean, and as athletes, they're pretty aware of their body. You know, they're not medical professionals. I think an athlete knows an Achilles injury when they have one. So I'm going to assume that he actually knew it was an Achilles. But for me, it seems like it was an emotional decision to go out and play because he didn't want to be perceived the way Kawhi Leonard was being perceived. Well, I think right? part of it too was everybody thought that he had one foot out the door. And if he didn't play, there was going to be more negative thoughts piled onto him. Like, well, look at that. He wouldn't even put himself out there to help his team. Right. So he was worried about what everybody else was right. thinking. He caved to peer pressure is essentially what it is. You know, he caved to probably, you know, his pressure within himself, right? Having this notion of what he wants to look like in the eyes of the public, right? And so I think the doctors kind of have that same... I don't know, they have that same thought process, right? When people say, well, you know, why don't you just take call every other day? And it's like, man, if I take call every other day, I'm going to be burnt out. I'm going to be so tired. And so what do they say? Well, what about the patients? Who's going to take care of the patients? You start caving in, right? Because now it's all of a sudden your responsibility to take care of all of the patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's just like, wait, that's not actually your responsibility. It's the hospital's responsibility to find someone or a group of people who can actually do that. It's the hospital's responsibility 
to find the team and make a team that works. Just like it was the Golden State Warriors' responsibility to put together a team and to put together plays that would eventually beat Toronto. They couldn't do that. And now all of a sudden, it fell on Kevin Durant. Well, I think also they could have protected him more by just saying he's got an injury that he's not coming back from, you know? Right. But that would require them actually caring about him. Right. So the last thing that I want to talk about is having multiple streams of income. I think right now, you know, you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, you have LeBron James, you have a significant amount of NBA players right now, particularly the free agents who really don't rely so much on their basketball income. They listed like the top players in the world and how much money they're making. And I think like LeBron James was like fourth down the list or fifth down the list, mainly because the majority of the money that he's making is from advertisements or from other deals. Same thing with Kevin Durant and, you know, with Kyrie Irving doing his movies with Uncle Drew and so forth. Part of the power play of getting to Brooklyn is the majority of the business or the headquarters of his business, what's the word I want to say? Like where the headquarters of his business is in New York, which was why there was always this rumor that he was either going to go play for the Knicks or maybe lesser thought he would play for the Nets. So it's really interesting how, you know, people who have these guys who are basically quote unquote moguls now, you know, they're able to kind of do more with their careers because they really literally can care less about their careers because if they were to lose that, there's still so many significant things that they're doing. So, you know, what say you guys about having multiple streams of income and having different, just kind of different options? You know, going from the basketball realm, a guy like LeBron James, he's kind of created the pathway for what all NBA players are doing now. I mean, we said about like what Kevin Durant's doing, what he did, Kawhi Leonard's doing what he did. But on the other end, he created a production company, you know, that a lot like Kevin Durant started. I think James Harden has got one too. James Harden has a career. Oh yeah, he's got a production company. Yeah. He's like an athlete that knows like, okay, what I do now is an avenue for me to set myself up to do other things in the future outside of basketball. You know, like it's along the lines of like more than just an athlete. He started a school that helps inner city kids in Akron. I mean, that's not a revenue generator for him, but it's a way to give back. But like, it's him spreading his wings and doing a lot of other things. I mean, me and my profession, as I said, like, you know, I went to school for architecture and engineering. So now I... Say that louder, man. You got to give yourself props. Man. <laughs> yeah, I went to school for architecture and engineering. I do both. As I said in the last podcast, like all of my friends are architects. So I can do a lot of the engineering work for them. But I've met real estate agents who put me in contact other to people doing all kinds of work. So I'm doing a number of design engineering projects. So my revenue stream is not only specific to engineering, but now it also includes like doing small development projects, small commercial projects, so that like I'm just not set in one place. You and I talk all the time about like how you have the ability to generate revenue from working one directly for a hospital, but also working for other different hospitals so that you're not hamstrung, you're not tied down. And the same thing. It's the ability to spread your wings and know that you're creating something in which like at some point you can walk away from it still generates revenue for you. Right. What do you say, Dr. Renee? You know me, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for multiple streams of income. I'm all for not being a one trick pony. I don't think anybody should ever box themselves into, you know, just being basically a one trick pony that can only make money one way. Because 
if that way is ever taken away from you, and it can be taken away from you in many different ways, not just through a firing, right? But like an injury or, you know, we some... We just heard on the news today, unfortunately, and I hope he's okay. There's a NFL player who was in a bad accident mm-hmm. in yeah. Miami who lost his arm, unfortunately. And right. they say he has multiple injuries, so let's hope that he makes it through. We're praying for him. But it's possible that his career is over. Right. And so, you know, you can have your career taken away from you in multiple different ways. We've seen people where their industry is gone or they're being replaced by technology. There are a lot of different ways that your income can be taken away from you in one particular fashion. So I think, you know, it's important for people to become very creative. We all have more than one talent. You know, you didn't have to necessarily go to school to be able to do a lot of the things that, frankly, a lot of people on the internet who did not go to school are doing. And that's within reason. But I certainly think it's important for physicians in particular. Come on, you know, we had interests before we went into medical school and we continue to have those interests. Maybe they were on the back burner, but, you know, all those ideas that are swirling in many of our heads, I think should definitely be explored as ways to make another stream of income. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, the one last thing I wanted to mention real quick also is about two years ago, Steph Curry re-upped his contract. He took a max contract with max dollars. And I think he got somewhere in the range of like 240, 250. And this was right after the season was done. So, you know, I think they just finished whooping the Cleveland Cavaliers for the first time, sweeping them, I think. And there was a tweet that went out from LeBron James. And he said he gave mad props to Steph Curry, but he said, you're actually worth 400 something million dollars, you know? So like, there's this like unsaid brotherhood, like nobody really, you know, outs other people and says, hey, you're not worth this. Why are you getting this contract? And I'm not getting this contract. Like Mm -hmm. for the top player to say, hey, look, like you are worth even way more than I'm getting paid right now. You know, that really says a lot about the current way in which these athletes look at themselves, you know, obviously as entrepreneurs and as moguls. Yeah, creating literally a new culture. That's what's happening is that there's a new culture of empowerment that is being created, you know, within these athletes. And it's really something that I wish could be created in the medical field. You know, I really wish that doctors could have that, you know, just that empowerment that oftentimes we feel we don't have. Yeah. So for all of y'all, there's that fireworks going around in Quincy's background. <laughs> that is fireworks. He's not Time under to get him out of here so he can go, go watch him. <laughs> I was hoping you guys couldn't hear it. (laughs) Let's hear your last thoughts and then we got to get you out of here. So my last thoughts were basically going to be on that and that like you you and I spoke about this before, but what was in that Steph Curry getting paid and LeBron saying something is the understanding that we're both in this industry, but at some point someone's got to take the baton and go and then everybody else will be up to follow from LeBron, again, leading the way and knowing he knows that NBA players and a lot of athletes are worth more than what they're actually paid. By giving props to a guy like Steph Curry, you know, for a lot of industries, it's the understanding that like, this is why like Major League Baseball does this the best. But they know that if one guy gets paid a lot of money, it's going to bring along a lot of the other athletes that are at his level or even above, like that come after him. And LeBron James knows that which is why like he never talks bad about any player who gets paid because it's always like, good, get the money that you deserve and understand that 
you may deserve that, but you probably deserve twice as much as that. So, <laughs> I'm ducked on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, uh, thanks the for having. Fireworks me. agree. Yeah. Hey, Questy, man, thank you for joining us on this. Go ahead and enjoy those Fourth of July fireworks. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So, Doctor Renee, it's just me and you. Questy had. To I leave. like being alone with you. <laughs> it is. Even fun. though you're all the way downstairs. I'm all the way downstairs, right? Making sure that we don't wake up our son. <laughs> you know? So what do you think about this conversation? I thought this conversation went really well. And the reason why I came up with this idea is just I've been watching these NBA players' contracts and the moves that they've been making. And it's so different than when I was a teenager watching basketball and watching like this hero ball. There was like this significant period of time, you know, after Jordan left where you know, every team would sign one player for this large contract and this person was supposed to be the savior of the team. And because they got these large contracts for like several years, the team was hamstrung and wasn't able to put proper players around them, right? The most important or the person that most people think about when you think about this era is Kevin Garnett, right? Mm -hmm. He got this huge, large contract. And for years, several years, he was just dragging this team and he just had no help. And then at the last minute, he got traded to the Boston Celtics. And then finally, they won a championship that year. But after he gave away his prime mm-hmm. to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Right. You know, so, you know, I've been watching these players and I'm just watching their moves. And you're just sitting there wondering, like, well, these guys are maximizing their employee, employer, you know, relationships. How is it that physicians can do that also? Right. No, I think, you know, this conversation really highlights that. And I think what you said just now, like giving away your prime, you and I definitely have met physicians who have given years, 15, 20, 30 years to a hospital only at the end to be ousted or, you know, replaced without so much as even a thought. And I just feel like, wow, you know, did you really work all that hard to get to this point in your life and feel so underappreciated. I just think that doctors can take a really good lesson away from what the NBA has become over the last 20 some odd years. LeBron James certainly is a force to be reckoned with, not just on the court, but I think business-wise, you know, as an individual who is looking beyond himself, I think that there are lots of lessons to be learned from what he's done and from what all the other players have started to do. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. You know, he's one of my favorite players. Wish he was on the Knicks, but I know why he's not on the Knicks (laughs) because they (laughs) they wouldn't know what to do with him, actually. But yeah, this was a fun conversation. I hope you all, from an audience standpoint, you know, kind of learned our perspective and learned a little bit of you know, kind of the inner workings of how an NBA player thinks nowadays as opposed to maybe 20 years ago. And maybe you can use that as part of, or even just maybe to maximize your relationship with whatever hospital you're employed with. Don't you find that there is a major similarity between the way that hospitals and these teams kind of view players and just how they make decisions? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that the teams are always trying to make as much money as possible, right? right? And that may not necessarily mean winning a championship. Right. I think to some organizations, it goes hand in hand. 
But I think ultimately what drives a team to do the decisions that they want to make are revenue-based. We've also seen teams where, or we've seen anecdotes of where it costs money to win a championship. And sometimes, depending on where you are, it makes more sense just to put a mediocre team there because the fan base is so loyal, they're going to show up, Mm -hmm. i.e. New York, right? So that's what's going on in New York. New York hasn't had a competitive team in almost 20 years, but we know that people are always, who are tourists who are coming to New York, or I don't know, the elites of New York will always come to a New York Knicks game because it's the thing to do. And because of that, the owner doesn't see any type of consequences for putting you know, a subpar team for decades. Nobody right. says anything because they're continually going to make you know, good decisions. So whether they put a championship team there, it probably cost them more to put a championship team up there. And he's like, well, what's the point? I might as well just have a mediocre team And make money. And make money. The fans are going to show up. My team is probably the second most or the most popular or most expensive team in the NBA, probably behind the Lakers. Why would I need to put a championship team on there? The fans keep coming. So that's why I've stopped being a Knicks fan. I'm going to put it out there. I'm no longer a Knicks fan. Oh my gosh. Because they stopped trying to, they stopped trying to, (laughs) no, no, no. They stopped trying to win. So for me, I'm like, what's the point of me putting my effort into it? You know, that's real talk. Like that's sometimes I don't understand how like other teams, you know, that never won and they clearly see that they're not trying to do anything. How do you still maintain fandom? How do you maintain being a fan for that team when they're mm-hmm. obviously not trying to win? So, you know, like I could say that with the Jets, but obviously I'm not watching football and that's a different story, but I'm not watching football. But, you know, same thing with the Jets. The Jets haven't been trying to win. So why watch that? You know? But, right. Yeah. I mean, I think there definitely is a similarity with certain hospitals that, you know, the effort to put together a really good team, either of physicians or around physicians, isn't necessarily there because they're just chugging along, you know, no one's going to say anything, you know, they're trying to maximize their finances. The CEO wants to get paid. If it's a for-profit hospital, they just want to make that profit. But who's going to complain? You know, is the community really going to complain or are they just going to keep showing up to the ER? We can't liken 100% the fans of a team to patients who actually need care in a hospital. But it seems as though on the administrative side, they kind of do, if that makes sense, because they know that the behaviors of these two factions, right, the fans and the patients is almost exactly the same they will show up no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Let's finish this off on a high note. We always want to give people actionable steps. And I think, right. you know, basically, if you go back and you listen to this entire you know, recording, there are plenty of nuggets, plenty of gems, plenty of bombs that we- Literally. <laughs> that we were highlighting that I think you all as physicians and even residents who are listening to this show and pre-med students who want to become physicians and are listening to this show, there are a lot of different things that you can do to really maximize your relationship with a hospital or any type of employed, employer type of relationship. So I hope you all don't look at this as a reason not to get into medicine, but really just as an opportunity to really understand how much power you wield and just really what you're bringing to the table, which is a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know I'm definitely very verbal when it comes to how I feel about, you know, how hospitals can take advantage of physicians. But I think you're right. I think, you know, I don't want to end on a doom and gloom. You know, I definitely don't want to discourage anyone from going into medicine. I think what for me is most important for people to get out of this is that 
you are much more empowered than you think you are. You are not as vulnerable as you think you are, or even as the administration thinks that you are. And so you need to, like you said, LeBron did and the rest of them did, bet on yourself. You need to bet on yourself. And sometimes that means not necessarily taking the shiny object in front of you, but actually looking past that shiny object and figuring out how to make the best path for yourself and for the career that you've worked so hard and put so much sweat equity into so that at the end, you're the one that's the champion. That's what I'm talking about. So look, y'all, make sure you share this episode with everyone else. I know there's someone that you know, like I know this person could definitely benefit from this episode. So pass that along to them. Also, please make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, hook us up with a five-star review. It makes it so much easier for new people to find out about this show. This show continues to grow. Hey, Dr. Renee, I just checked the Apple Podcast rankings yesterday. We are at number 23 in careers, which is an all-time high. proud of you. That's all of us, yo. We got to be proud of everybody coming together. making this happen yo think about it like a medical podcast in the career section is definitely something that you know is a niche topic and for it to make it as high shows that a lot of people are listening and they're sharing it with others so that's what's up y'all that's awesome Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so look we're gonna catch you on the next episode i'm not sure what's gonna be the next topic that we're gonna talk about but we're gonna come up with something funky something fly and we're gonna make it happen y'all so write in to me at dr knee d-r-n-i-i at drkneedarko.com or Follow me on Instagram at Dr. Nee Darko or leave us a message on Facebook if you got some new titles or anything that you want us to talk about from a duo standpoint. Or if you want us to bring Questy on board, a resident statistician, contract, uh, <laughs> master, contract expert, contract expert, we can bring him on also. All right. So I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.